Section of eleven of a study of British genius by Havelock Ellis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter eleven. Other characteristics: personal beauty or the reverse, the eyes, shyness and timidity, tendency to melancholy, persecution by the world. A physical characteristic to which the national biographers frequently allude, though I do not propose to attempt to give it any numerical values, is personal beauty or the absence of it. A very large proportion of persons are referred to as notably handsome, commonly imposing. A very considerable but smaller proportion are spoken of as showing some disproportion or asymmetry of feature, body or limbs, as notably peculiar or even ludicrous in appearance. A not uncommon type is that of the stunted giant with massive head and robust body but very short legs there is one feature however which is noted as striking and beautiful in a very large number of cases even in persons who are otherwise wholly without physical attractions that is the eyes it is very frequently found that descriptions of the personal appearance of men of genius however widely they may differ in other respects agree in noting an unusual brilliancy of the eyes thus the eyes of burns were said by one observer to be like coals of living fire and Scott writes that they literally glowed. While of Chatterson's eyes it was said that there was fire rolling at the bottom of them, it is significant that both of these instances, chosen almost at random, were poets. While, however, the phenomenon seems to be noted more frequently, and with more emphasis in poets, is found among men of genius of all classes. One may suppose it to be connected with an unusual degree of activity of the cerebral circulation. In regard to the mental and emotional disposition of British persons of genius, the national biographers enable us to trace the prevalence of one or two tendencies. One of these is shyness, bashfulness, or timidity. This is noted in 68 cases, while 50 are described as very sensitive, nervous, or emotional, and although this is not equivalent to a large percentage, it must of course be remembered that the real number of such cases is certainly very much larger, and also that the characteristic is in many cases extremely well marked. Some had to abandon the profession they had chosen on account of their nervous shyness at appearing in public. Others were too bashful to declare their love to the women they were attracted to. Sir Thomas Brown, one of the greatest masters of English prose, was so modest that he was always blushing causelessly. Hooker, one of the chief luminaries of the English church, could never look anyone in the face. Dryden, the recognised prince of literally men of his time, was, said Congreve, the most easily put out of countenance of any man he had ever met. It is not difficult to see why the timid temperament, which is very far from involving lack of courage, should be especially associated with intellectual aptitudes. It causes a distaste for social contact and so favours those forms of activity which may be exerted in solitude. These later, again, reacting to produce increased awkwardness in social relations. Moreover, the mental state of timidity, which may be regarded as a mild form of folie de don, a perpetual self-questioning and uncertainty, However unpleasant it may be from the social point of view, is by no means an unsatisfactory attitude in the face of intellectual problems, for it involves that unceasing self-criticism, which is an essential element of all good intellectual work, and has marked more or less clearly the greatest men of scientific genius. Fundamentally, no doubt, timidity is a minor congenital defect of the nervous mechanism, fairly comparable to stammering. It may be noted that the opposite characteristic of over-self-confidence with more or less tendency to arrogance and insolence is also noted, but with much less frequency, and usually in men whose eminence is not due to purely intellectual qualities, 
In some cases, it would seem, the two opposite tendencies are combined, the timid man seeking refuge of his own timidity in the assumption of arrogance. In a certain number of cases, information is given as to their general emotional disposition, whether to melancholy or depression, or of a gay, cheerful, and genial character. In 85 cases, the disposition is known as melancholy, and 20 is cheerful or jovial. In seven cases, both dispositions are noted as occurring in varying association in the same person. This marked tendency to melancholy among persons of intellectual aptitude is no new observation, but was indeed one of the very earliest points noted concerning men of genius. According to a saying attributed to Aristotle, all men of ability are melancholy, and reveal Paris, one of the first and still one of the most sagacious of the modern writers on genius, devoted a chapter to the point. It is not altogether difficult to account for this phenomenon. Melancholy children, as Murrow found, are in large proportion the offspring of elderly fathers, as we have also found our persons of intellectual eminence to be. A tendency to melancholy, again, even though it may always fall short of insane melancholia, is allied to those neurotic and abnormal conditions which we have found to be not infrequent. Moreover, it certainly has a stimulating influence on intellectual work. The more normal men of cheerful disposition instinctively seeks the consolations of society. The melancholy man, like the shy man, is ill-adapted to society, and more naturally seeks his consolations in a non-social field, such as that of the intellect. Often plunging more deeply into intellectual work, the more profound his melancholy becomes. Wagner said that his best work was done at times of melancholy, and among the eminent men on our list several writers are mentioned who turn to authorship as a relief of personal depression. It may also be said that not only is melancholy a favourable condition of intellectual work, that the sedentary and nerve-exhausting nature of nearly all forms of intellectual work in turn reacts to emphasise or produce moods of depression. Another cause that serves largely to accentuate the tendency of men of genius to melancholy is the attitude of the world towards them. Every original worker in intellectual fields, every man who makes some new thing, is certain to arouse hostility where he does not meet with indifference. He stands out in his chosen path, ignorant of men, but moved by high ideals, content to work in laborious solitude and to wait, and when at last he turns to his fellows, saying, See what I have done for you? He often finds that he has to meet only the sneering prejudices of the few who might have comprehended, and the absolute indifference of the many who are too absorbed in the daily struggle for bread to comprehend any intellectual achievement. The wise worker knows this, and arms himself with benevolent contempt, alike against the few and the many. Thus, of one of the great men of science on our list, Stephen Hales, it was said that he could look even upon those who did him unkind offices without any emotion of particular indignation, not from what of discernment or sensibility, but he used to consider them only like those experiments which, on trial, he found could never be applied to any useful purpose, and which he therefore calmly and dispassionately laid aside. But it has to be remembered that the prevailing temperament of men of genius is one of great nervous sensitiveness and irritability. So that, as Reveille Paris puts it, they are apt to roar at a pinprick, and even when they are well aware what the opinion of the world is worth, they still cannot help being profoundly affected by that opinion, hence a fruitful source of melancholy. The attitude of the world towards the man of original intellect, being not merely one of disdain or indifference, but a constantly intending to become aggressive, has certainly reinforced the tendency to melancholy. It is practically impossible to estimate the amount of persecution to which this group of preeminent British persons has been subjected for it has shown itself in innumerable forms and varies between a more passive refusal to have anything whatever to do with them or their work and the active infliction of physical torture and death 
There is, however, at least one form of persecution, very definite in character, which it is easy to estimate, since the national biographers have probably in few cases passed it over. I refer to imprisonment. I find that at least 160 or over 16 percent of our 975 eminent men were imprisoned once or oftener for periods of varying length, while many others only escaped imprisonment by voluntary exile. It is true that the causes of imprisonment are various, but even imprisonment for such a cause as debt may usually be taken to indicate an anomalous lack of adjustment to the social environment. The man of genius is an abnormal being, thus arousing the instructive hostility of society, which by every means seeks to put him out of the way. It will be seen that the various personal traits noted in this section, while completing a picture of British persons of genius, may be linked on at numerous points to other traits we have previously noted. It only remains to gather together the threads we have traced and to ascertain how far they may be harmoniously woven into a complete whole. End of chapter 11